Yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now, now, now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Any questions? Table fam, how we feeling? Man, it is good to be back. Wow, uh, I felt like that was forever since I've seen you guys. Um, if we have not had a chance to meet, my name is Isaac. I'm the lead pastor here at the table. I'm part of our table leadership team. And man, we're just so glad that you're here. Um, if it's your first time or first time in a long time, man, we just want to say welcome. I love what Lucas said and just leading us in musical worship. And I love what he said about kind of who we are and that we are a banquet for the broken. So if you feel like you're messed up, if you, you feel like you're imperfect, if you feel like you don't have things all together, Welcome. You're going to fit in perfectly around here because none of us have anything figured out. None of us have all the answers. We're all um, people. And in, in that imperfection, uh, we just call each other family. Um, now, you may be saying, wait, I already have a family that's messed up, broken. Why do I want another one? <laughs> um, and hey, that, that may be true. Um, but what may be different or may not be different around your biological family is what makes us family is that we unite around one thing. And the one thing that we unite around is that Jesus is Lord. And we know that in our, in, our, in our hopelessness, we know that in our brokenness, we know that we, um, we can just, Jesus comes in and brings healing and hope um, to our hopelessness. So man, I just, if it's your first time or first time in a long time, welcome. If you're an OG, welcome back. And man, let me just pray for us and then we'll jump in. Um, Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. God, we're just thankful for all of my friends here, for our table family. Um, God, that we can just unite around who you are and what your word says. So we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So some of you know this, um, so I played basketball for about a year and a half uh, when I was in high school, and I uh, remember like first day, freshman year, you know, all me and my teammates were so excited uh, to be able to play high school basketball for the very first time, and so we're there like on the baseline getting lined up, ready to go, and the coach says, men, and we're all like barely hitting puberty, so we're like, yes, sir, as like, our voices are cracking, and he's like, men, we need to be strong, not be weak. And not show our opponent's weakness. We need to be strong. And we're like, yes, sir, that's what we want to do. So, so we do. So we start practicing and we start playing games and we're terrible. Like it's a really bad basketball team. But, man, we're trying and giving it our all. And I remember one practice, you know, we're scrimmaging and we're trying to get better. And I remember going up for a rebound and I come down and my ankle goes. And I sprain my ankle, Right. And I'm like there on the ground, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm weak now. I can't be weak. I have to be strong. And I'm just grabbing my ankle, and the coach is like, Trevino. And I'm like, yes, sir. And he's like, go to the trainer. And I was like, yes, sir. And I'm like hobbling over to the trainer, right? So they look at my ankle. They ice it up. They wrap it up. Turns out I do have to miss a game. And I was so bummed because if you miss a game, right, you're, not, you're weak. You're not strong. And we need to be strong. Strong people don't miss games. So I'm sitting on the bench just like feeling so pitiful about myself. So then the next game, a few days later, I'm like, okay, I think I can play now. I think my, my, my uh, ankle is good enough. So I go to the trainer. They wrap it up. I'm in the game. And I just kind of start out in the game. And then I start like limping. And the coach is like, Trevino, are you limping? And I'm like, no, sir. And he's like, all right. Let me not see you limping. And so then for the rest of the game or for the next few minutes, now I'm like trying to like wait till the coach is not looking so I can like move forward to like not limp, right? So uh, so eventually, though, that doesn't, I mean, in a, it's a basketball game. You, don't, you can't do that for very long. So the coach is like, Trevino, to the bench. I'm like, oh, no. And I feel defeated because now I'm weak. And now I'm sitting on the bench again um, while I was trying to hide my limp, right? 
So because limp equaled weakness, limp equaled not being strong, and I realized I actually um, hid my limp in a lot of areas of my, of my life, right? On the basketball court and off the basketball court, physically and not physically, right? A lot of areas of my life, there were these limps that I had, and I just tried to hide them in order to be strong, right? So now you may be wondering what a limp is. So if I may define uh, what a limp is, it's our sinful temptations, impure motives, or weaknesses that we see as a flaw. Our sinful temptations, impure motives, or weaknesses that we see as a flaw. What do I mean by that? Um, sinful temptations. Perhaps um, you may be prone just to get, like, really angry, right? Like you're sitting with your roommate and your roommate's driving, and then the, um, and the, maybe you're, you're driving and you know that if you're shotgun, you're also DJ, Right? This is just universally true. If you're riding shotgun, you play DJ. So you play your song, right? Your favorite song, whatever it may be. And let's say that your or your roommate, you know, plays a song and you're driving, you're like, oh, I hate this song. Right? But you're trying not to get angry, right? And you're just trying and you're trying and trying and eventually you just blow up. But you also like, you don't like that about yourself. You don't like that you outburst in anger. So this limp, this um, sinful temptation of anger, may be something that you just know that's true about yourself. You just really don't like it. You hate it, right? Or perhaps um, some impure motives, right? Some of us, man, we can look real good. We get our hair done. We get all dressed up, right? We got the shoes going. We got the, we got the good smells going. And we know that when we're going out, we just want to be noticed, right? And then get that selfie, right? Men, no, <laughs> both. It's it's everybody. I do that too. Um, uh, so, but you also know that man. I don't like that. I, I don't like that. What's true about me? If I were to be honest, I don't like that. I go out to get attention. I go out to get noticed. And you know that's true about yourself. You don't like that about yourself, but you still know it's true, and you still do it. And then people are like, "Why are you getting all dressed up? Is that to get attention?" And you're like, "No, I just like the way that I." You know, and you come up with like an excuse, right? Um, or perhaps it's just a weakness. Maybe you feel um, just incompetent at work. Maybe you feel incompetent at school. Maybe you don't feel like you're smart enough. That word enough starts coming in a lot. And you just feel, feel weak and you feel like a failure and you feel like you're not good enough, you're not intelligent enough, or whatever it may be, a weakness, right? So this limps that we all have as our sinful temptations, impure motives, or weaknesses that we see as a flaw. And here's often how we respond to our limps. We feel powerless and we feel unworthy of love. As we think through our limps, as we think through the things about us that we know to be true about ourselves, that we hope people don't see, we feel powerless, like we can't do anything about it, right? It's just who we are, There's no, it will never be any different, it's just who we are, and we feel powerless in that, we feel lack of control, and also we feel like we don't ha um, have acceptance and we feel like we're unworthy of love. And here's what happens as we think through being powerless or being unworthy of love. We, as we think through our limps, we hate it and we hide it. We hate our limps, most of us. And we also, we hide our limps, right? So I have this, um, it says here as an illustration, right? Oftentimes, whenever we think about our limps, right, we're like, okay, nobody see. I'm going to hide it over here. Don't, don't look, I'm not, I don't, I'm not limping, I'm not limping, right? Like me, like I was on the basketball court, right? As we think through our limps, as we think through these things about ourselves um, that we don't like, we hate our limps and we hide our limps. Fortunately, we're not the only ones that have ever had limps, right? There's actually a guy that wrote half the New Testament that had a limp, 
right? And there's a passage that I want to look at today. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So if your Bibles, you can turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he talks really specifically and really clearly on how he thinks through and processes his limp. So if you have a Bible, we're going to turn there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses uh, 1. We'll start in verse 1, go through verse 10. So this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is speaking about his limps. So here we go. Verse 1. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Okay, so Paul starts out where he's saying, I'm going to trip over this so I don't move this thing. Um, Okay, we'll do, there we go. Uh, So Paul says, hey, I must go on uh, boasting, right? So why must he go on boasting? Because the people that he's talking to, if you look up a few verses earlier, the people that he's talking to are boasting. So Paul, in order to reach them, is going to speak their language. So he's saying, hey, if they're going to boast, I'm going to boast. But what I'm going to boast in may be a little bit different different than what they're going to boast in, but I must go on boasting. Right, because I'm trying to reach them, I'm trying to speak their language of boastfulness. So I, Paul, must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. He's saying it's kind of stupid that I'm boasting, but we'll go for it anyway. There's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So he continues talking about visions and revelations of the Lord. Verse 2, where he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in, in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up in paradise, whether in body or out of body. Saying this again, I do not know. God knows. Verse 4, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Okay, so Paul is saying, hey, I know a man. And when he's saying, I know a man, he's talking about himself. (laughs) He's saying, hey, I know this guy. Have you ever done that? Like, hey, I may know somebody who may know about that thing or may know that person, right? You're talking about yourself in the third person. Uh, That's what Paul is doing here, where he's talking about himself in the third person. Where he's saying, hey, I know a man who had, who had this heavenly experience and had this vision, right? So Paul is talking about his own experience where he had this heavenly experience um, and vision, right? And um, if, if you or anybody that you know has had a heavenly experience, you get street cred, right? If somebody says, hey, um, I experienced heaven, regardless of if they're right or wrong, you're going to lean, as an audience or somebody listening, you're going to lean into whatever they have to say, right? Even if they're like completely off the wall, even if they're crazy, you're saying, you, okay, hold on, I got, I got to hear this. You're saying you had an experience in heaven, like I need to hear what you're about to say, right? So Paul is relying on his own experience in order to get people to, to lean in um, to what he's about to say, Right? Um, but then he says something really interesting where he says, oh, but this heavenly experience that I have, I can't tell you. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, I, I can't tell you about my heavenly experience, which is kind of strange. Like, Paul, why are you, like, saying you have a heavenly experience, but then saying, like, you can't talk about it? That's, that's weird, right? But he goes on to say why he's not going to talk about this heavenly experience um, that he had, right? Where he says this, on behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Right? He's saying, hey, look, I can boast on behalf of this man. If he's talking about himself, just kind of do it in an interesting way. He's like, hey, look, I could boast if, about my heavenly experience. I could boast if I wanted to. But I'm not going to. Here's what I'm going to boast in. This is where it gets really interesting. He's not going to boast in his heavenly experience. He's going to boast in his weaknesses. Strange. Very strange. Why would Paul do that? 
We don't have to assume why Paul would do that. He tells us why he does that. So let's keep reading. Why does Paul do that? Verse 6, he says, Though if I wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So here's what's going on. Um, Some people have had um, these previous experiences. Right? Some people that you know have had previous experience. So some of this previous experience, if you grew up in a, um, a charismatic tradition or just more kind of a Holy Spirit spiritual tradition, um, your experience is like, I heard direct revelation from the Lord, right? And then we'll rely on that um, direct revelation from the Lord, this heavenly experience, in order to gain street cred, right? In order to gain credibility with people that this person is talking to. Okay, or it may be a, a lot more a pragmatic and practical. Perhaps the previous experience is, hey, I grew up in a ministry family. I know what I'm talking about. Hey, actually, I grew up in church. Actually, my previous church was amazing. They did everything right. I know what I'm talking about because I participated in that, right? So Paul's basically saying, hey, look, there are people that will rely on previous experience, whether it be spiritual or whether it be, like, really pragmatic. There are people that will rely on previous experience in order to gain credibility, right? And Paul's saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to rely on previous experience in order to gain credibility, right? Hey, if we're going to play the street cred game, Paul, Paul has the most street cred out of everybody. Right? If you know Paul's story, he was, um, he was a Jew that then had this amazing, miraculous conversion to Christianity following Jesus. Jesus literally showed up, knocked him off his horse, made him blind, and then said, and then like healed him of his blindness and said, you're going to follow me. And he's like, all right, Jesus, you're right, I'm going to follow you. And then goes on to be arguably the greatest missionary in the history of the world. We're talking about street cred? Paul has street cred. And even in Paul's um, Paul, who's the most deserving to use previous experience, who Paul, the most deserving to use street cred, says, I'm not going to use my street cred in order to be credible. Here's what he says he's going to use in order to be credible, right? Um, where he says he's going to boast in his weakness, right? And the reason he doesn't do that is because um, Paul recognizes that relying on previous experience uh, creates a superiority and arrogance, when we rely on previous experience, oftentimes we rely on an arrogance. Like, oh, I experienced this thing, so I know it now. So I'm, and we don't really like say this outright, but sometimes there's just this air of like, I'm better than you because I had this previous experience. Oh, you haven't had this previous experience? Oh, oh, that's, that's, that's too bad. Oh, I'm sorry, right? But it's kind of like, like experience shaming. Like, oh, you haven't like memorized the entire Old Testament? Oof, oof, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you haven't done that, right? Oh, you don't like... Um, you don't, you've had this experience where you, like, prayed for, like, 15 hours straight? Oh, oh, wow. And you call yourself a Christian? Oof, 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 wow. Right? And what, what does that do? Like, oh, you aren't, like, super emotionally aware? Oh, oof, ooh, I don't know about that. Right? Whatever it may be, right, whatever, whatever the previous experience may be, what it does is it creates a divide of, like, I know this thing, I've experienced this thing that you don't know, therefore, ergo, because, like, really arrogant people say ergo, ergo, <laughs> ergo, I'm better than you. And we don't, like, really say that, but, like, that's what we're thinking. We're like, oh, man, if they only experienced what I experienced, if they only knew what I knew, right, man, I, and here's what, what happens with our, our previous experience is that we rely on that for strength, right? 
our previous experience typically is what we rely on for strength, for, hey, like, this is what gives me credibility, this is what gives me strength, this is what gives me good standing, is my, is my knowledge and my experience, whether it be spiritual, whether it be pragmatic. And Paul says, I'm not going to do that, um, because if we're going to compare experiences, I would win. Paul, when we, if we know Paul's story, we would say, hey, if we're, yeah, if we're going to compare experiences, like my conversion was not like getting made blind, knocked off a horse. I think Paul wins the conversion story. Um, oh, I think Paul planted like a million churches and I haven't. Right? Like we're, if we're comparing experiences, Paul wins. And even the guy who's the most deserving of like the highest level of experience, he's saying, I'm not going to compare experiences, right? I'm not going to do that. And here is why Paul says he's not going to do that. Verse 7. He says, the reason I'm not going to do that, so to keep me, this is Paul talking, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So this is what God's will for Paul, this is very strange, but it makes a lot of sense. God's will for Paul to keep him from being conceited was to send Satan in order to give Paul what he calls a thorn in the flesh, right? So there's a few things I want to point out here. Um, So what was the thorn? What was the thorn in the flesh that God sends Satan to harass Paul to give him? This, like, thorn. So if you think about it, like, this image of, like, thorn in the flesh, um, so think about it, like, on the side, and now here's the thorn that just, like, keeps rubbing up against Paul's side, right? Wouldn't that be, like, really annoying and frustrating? And that's what Paul calls his experience of being a Christian, was there was a thorn in the flesh that was just always there, that was always just poking him and prodding him, and like he just wanted it to, he wanted it to not be there, but it was there, and it was God's will that that thorn was there. Why? So that Paul would not become conceited, right? Um, so some, so what is the actual thorn? Like, was it, was it, is he talking metaphorical? Was there like a physical thorn? Was there like a, was he like sick? And he's saying thorn in the flesh describes sickness. Um, was he, it, was, was there like relational beef between Paul and someone else that was causing the thorn in the flesh? And the best Bible scholars just don't know. In all the research, in all the research, and if you grew up in church, you may know this, like we just, we don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh is. There's been some speculation. Um, some historians think that it was relational. Some historians think that um, there was like this, like, Paul, because he was a Jew and then became a Christian, so there was like this, like, anti-Paul movement that was upbringing. Like, oh, yeah, Paul, we don't like that guy. Ooh, oh, are you on Team Paul? Oh, we can't be friends because you're on Team Paul, right? So, so some people think it was relational, but ultimately we just don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. And if God wanted us to know, God would have made it really clear. But God didn't make it clear. So we just don't know um, what that thing is. Um, also, it's really interesting, too, kind of a side note, that um, Satan and God are not equals, right? It's not like, here is God in one corner, and here is Satan in another corner, and it's like, God, and here's Satan, and who's going to win? God wins every time. God wins so much that he uses Satan to do his bidding, right? That, and I know this is like real theological, and we can talk more later, but I just want to, since it's in the text, I just want to explain that God is going to use Satan to accomplish his will, and it's a mystery that we won't fully understand, but we know that even Satan himself, the king of darkness, is subject to the God of the universe. There is nothing in this universe that is outside of God's control and God's will, right? It's not like Satan is doing things, and God's like, oh, no, please don't do that, right? Um, God, God um, is in charge of everything, right? And ultimately, all things will be made new and will be made whole again. So the thorn in the flesh 
was Paul's limp. The thorn in the flesh was Paul's limp, his weakness, this this thing that he didn't like, this thing that he hated. And here's what Paul says in verse 8 where he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Right? Three times, hey, hey, God, can you take away the thorn in the flesh? And God's like, no. Paul's like, are you sure, God, can you take away the thorn in the flesh? And God says, no. And Paul's like, God, are you sure? Like, do you know who I am? I'm the Apostle Paul. And God's like, I'm aware. I created you. Um, But can you take away the thorn in the flesh? And God says, no. So now Paul has two options. Paul can either deny the reality that he's suffering with a thorn in the flesh, or he can accept the reality that he has a thorn in the flesh. Paul has an option. Right? He can either say, no, I, I don't have the thorn in the flesh, and I just command the thorn in the flesh to leave. It's not there. I, I command it. It's not going to be there. I don't have a thorn in the flesh. As he like, clearly has a thorn in the flesh. He can just deny reality. But Paul instead embraces and accepts um, this, this thorn in the flesh that he has. And here we get to, again, just an amazing verse here in verse 9, where Jesus himself is talking directly to Paul where Jesus is talking directly to Paul. And here's what Jesus says. But he, this is Jesus, said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I'm going to read it again. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Right? So what does he mean by grace? Grace is um, this completely free gift, this free gift that we get of God himself. And as we get God himself We get the the deepest things that we long for. We get joy. We get love. We get peace. We get hope. These things that we crave, these things that we'll go anywhere to seek, God freely gives it to us in himself. Right? So for my grace is sufficient. Right? So this this free gift is completely sufficient. This this free gift of love and peace and grace and and hope, this is enough. This is all you need. There is nothing more than we need than, the, than God's grace for our lives. Right? And then he said, and Jesus is saying, for my power. Right? Power. This is God's, Jesus' ability to accomplish what he wants to do. For my power is made perfect. This word perfect means completed. In what? In weakness. In weakness. So Jesus is basically saying, hey, look, this free gift is, will be enough for you. And um, I have the ability to make things complete in your life. And here's how you're going to be made whole. And here's how you're going to be made complete. And here's how you're going to get the grace and the love and the hope that you long for. It's in your weakness. It's in your limp. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. This this is uh, now Paul talking. Therefore, I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So here's what Paul boasts in. Not in his strength. Paul does not boast in his previous experience. Paul boasts in his limp. Paul boasts in his weakness. Right? Paul boasts in his, the very thing that he wants God to take away. Paul boasts in the very thing that we hate about ourselves. We hate our limp. We hate our weaknesses, right? We hate that thing that um, our, our sinful temptations. We hate that thing that we just, we, we just hate that thing about ourselves that just makes us feel broken, that makes, makes us feel like we're not enough, that makes us feel like we're incomplete. And Paul boasts in that thing. It's crazy. Paul boasts in the very thing that he doesn't want there, right? And when, um, 
when we boast in our previous experience, we get very arrogant and conceited. When we boast in the things that we feel strong about, we just get really prideful. When we boast in the things that we feel really competent in, we feel like, man, we can do no wrong. And really, we'll get to a point where we feel like we don't even need God anymore. Because, like, I got this. I'm good. Um, like, hey, look, I've, I've set up really healthy rhythms for my life. Um, I've set up these really healthy structures. I read my Bible. I have a quiet time. I do all of these things. I have really healthy relationships. And we're on this path where we're going in a really, really positive, strong way to the point to where we start getting conceited and arrogant. So God gives us a thorn in the flesh. God gives us a limp. Why? So that we boast in him, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we boast in our weakness because it's in our weakness where we feel really dependent on who God is, not on who we are. It guards us from ourselves. It keeps us from getting really arrogant and conceited. Right? So um, over the break, um, uh, so we finished, we finished the table like over the summer. We had our, like, our last summer table like in July. Um, and then I was really excited um, to, to rest and I was excited to, to be able to kind of plan for the fall and this fall season that we're about to do. Um, and then I was really excited to spend extra time like with my wife, Lauren. And, we're, and I'm, I, you know, I missed the table, but I was excited just for a few weeks to be able to like rest and plan and kind of get ready and gear up and ready to go. So, so we finished our table, and then we, um, we were able to go visit my parents in Texas. And I love Texas. Many of you know this, how much I love Texas. So we go to visit. And I'm, we're feeling real good. And then we get back from Texas. And like three days later, it's a Thursday. It's August 5th, our eighth, eight-month anniversary, 2.30 in the morning. And um, I hear, I'm dead asleep in bed. And I hear, Isaac, Isaac. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I wake up, and I see my wife in the bathroom. I got her permission to say this, uh, vomiting over the toilet. <laughs> I'm like, and I feel like, oh, like, I hate it. I'm like, no, like, what's going on? And she's like, I don't know. Like, it just all hit me all of a sudden. And that started. Um, so she's like, I'm like, okay, just knowing the season that we're in, I'm like, is it COVID? We're like, no, I don't think it's COVID. I don't think it's COVID. Let's go get tested, and we're positive for COVID, <laughs> both of us, right? And that started a 17-day quarantine where we're at home. Um, today's literally my second day. We're good. We're healthy. Um, second day out of quarantine. But man, where I'm going into the break thinking it's going to be so amazing and so restful and I'm going to get all this free time and I'm just going to feel really good and strong, I was broken to be so weak, right? And it just revealed things in me to where I'm like, I'm pretty extroverted and just being home and, like, and I feel like um, just being there in, in the house, um, like I just feel like I'm cut off from relationships, Right? And then even um, like at work, I feel pretty disconnected because I haven't been talking much with the ministry people around here and ministry around here. Like we're just trying to get really healthy. And even like you would think that, oh, man, getting to be home like 17 days straight with my wife would be great. And it was in one sense. But in another sense, like neither of us are feeling good to like really have good, um, good connection time, right, to talk. Because we're both like passed out on the couch and we like barely wake up to like binge Ted Lasso on Netflix. And then we like go back to sleep, right? And then we just like wake up and... So, like, in that time, I just feel so broken. And then I feel even cut off in my, um, I, I feel like a, a stress on my relationship with God, right? 
where I'm there, I'm just not feeling good, and I'm trying to rest, but I'm just feeling so weak, and even um, spiritually, and like my whole integrated life, I'm just getting to a really low spot, and I'm like, God, like what happened? Like this break was supposed to be incredible. This break was supposed to be amazing. Like I have all these really healthy rhythms set up. Like we bought bicycles and rollerblades. We're going to go out. We're going to go to Disney. Like we just feel like we're just going to be in a really good spot doing this, right? And then I'm there in the bed just like shivering and like sweating like at the same time. Y'all, COVID sucks. Like if you've had it, like you know this. And man, my heart breaks for the people that have really traumatic experience and even passed away um, because of COVID. So we're there just like shivering, just trying, trying to get better. Right? And I just feel like I'm just brought to my lowest. And I just feel like I'm so weak. And then I'm like, man, I hate, I hate feeling weak. I feel like I should like be better, be better than this. I feel like I should be able to conquer this. I feel like I should be like COVID and being quarantined for 17 days. I feel like it shouldn't affect me the way that it's affecting me mentally, emotionally, um, with my, my rhythms that I've set up with my relationships. I mean, why is this affecting me so much? And I feel like I should be better and stronger than this. And I'm reminded what I'm talking about today, where Paul says, or Jesus tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast not in my own accomplishments, not in my rhythms, not in my own strength. I will boast more gladly of my weaknesses, right? I will boast the more gladly of shivering in a bed with fever, right? I will bo- Why? Boast all the more gladly, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. With my limp, here's, here's one of my biggest limps. I have many. One of my biggest limps. Um, I feel like I only have value when I'm accomplishing things. Some of you know this. I feel like I have value whenever um, I feel accepted and I can, like, serve people really well. And I can, like, be, say something really wise or really encouraging or just say the perfect thing at the perfect time. Um, I feel like that's where I have value. And I struggle to have value when I'm shivering in a bed with a fever, right? And here's what the Lord tells me. It's like, Isaac, you have just as much value doing zero ministry in a bed shivering with a fever as you do being productive and accomplishing things. Isaac, your value does not come from your work. Your value does not come from your accomplishments. Your value does not come from the things that you do. Your value comes from who you are as my son. You're going to stay in bed. For 17 days, you're going to watch Ted Lasso, and you're going to be there, and you're going to serve your wife as she's recovering from COVID, and you're going to walk the, uh, let the dog out, and you're going to order a lot of Uber Eats and, and DoorDash, and you're going to get food and get things set up, and that's what you're going to do. But even then, those things, you already have value even before you do any of those things, right? And when I feel weak, that's when I can boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. where he says this in verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I am content with insults. I am content with hardships, with persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Right? When we're weak, when we feel helpless, when we feel powerless, right, then this is the the God-exalting, God-glorifying weakness that we can enter into so that we rest in the power of Jesus and not in our own strength. Right? Our faith our faith in God, our identity in God, our security in who God has made us to be, that is where we find strength, not our own strength, on God's strength. So we're going to boast in our weaknesses. So here is the big idea, the big idea that we'll talk about for the next few minutes. Lead with your limp. You lead with your limp, right? Oftentimes, whenever we think about our limp, 
right? As I did, as I do, that I'm trying to work on. Um, as we think about our limp, here's what we do. We try to hide it. We hide our limp. And here's what Paul says to do as we boast in our weakness. You put your limp forward and you lead with it. You lead with your limp, right? So we don't tend to do that, though. So here are some lies about our limp, right? Here are three lies about your limp. Okay, lie number one. Uh, my limp runs my life. My limp, my weakness, my deficiency, my limp runs my life, right? And for those of us that believe the lie that my limp is my identity, my limp is who I am, some of us have no problem um, putting our limp forward, right? And we, our limp is like, this is me, this is who I am, everyone needs to know about my limp, and then we'll just go on as we meet people, um, we'll just share like our limp, and not in a way that um, is healthy, but in a way that is like, this is me, this is who I am, right? And it's because we're really insecure and anxious about our limp. Right? So we're, we're hyper aware of our limps and we can't move forward. And it leaves us really insecure and anxious. So that's some of us, we believe lies about our limp. Here are other lies that we believe. So they may, they not be, that, that may not be you. Here's the opposite. Um, I have no limps. What do you Isaac, bro, I've been listening for 20 minutes now. You're not talking to me because I don't have any limps. Right? And you, my friend, what we would call arrogant. <laughs> and unaware, and blind. Everybody has limps. So if you're saying, hey, I have no limps, right? You're, you're living in um, not reality, right? You're like, hey, I can see other people have limps, but I'm actually good. I actually used to have a limp, but I conquered it, and no longer have limps anymore. I have no limps, right? And it leads to conceitedness, and it leads to arrogance, right? And part of the reason we believe that is because that's what culture tells us. Right? Like me on the basketball court, we need to be strong. Be strong, Trevino. Don't limp. On the basketball court, don't limp. Here's what culture tells us. That we need to be strong. You, in order to have value, you need to be strong. You need to be a strong man. Man up. You need to be a strong woman and independent. Right? Strong woman, strong man. And a lot of that comes from culture. It doesn't come from scripture. Because what does Paul boast in? Paul boasts in his weakness, not his strength. Right? So we actually... So some of the lies that we believe is like we need to like not have our limp and we need to be strong and who we are. I just don't think that's going to get you very far in life, right? And number three, here's another lie that we believe. Um, people can't see my limps. Maybe this is probably most of us in the room. I, I, my suspicion is that most of us are aware of our limps, but we feel like people can't see our limps because we feel shame about our limps. We feel like things that we've um, entered into, things that have happened to us, um, things that about us, about the brokenness about ourselves, is that we just feel um, a lot of shame, right? And, um, and there's another word that I want to mention, which is vulnerability, right? Where we feel like we can't, we can't be vulnerable, right? Maybe even, like, before you came to church, like, you used to be more vulnerable, and then you showed up at church, and nobody's vulnerable around here. So you're like, oh, wait. I'm not going to be vulnerable if nobody else is going to be vulnerable. Like, I, like I would felt way more freedom to talk about my limps, um, but then, like, everyone just seems to, like, maybe your church experience was everyone just seems to have it all together and buttoned up, and I just can't be honest with my limps, right? And I hate that, and that's, that's the culture that we're actively trying to, to guard against around here. There's a, um, there's a PhD sociologist, some of you may know, uh, Brene Brown, um, and she talks a lot, like she's a PhD researcher, and what she researches is shame. 
right? So as she researches shame, she actually ties shame um, with vulnerability in her research. And she's written books, and she's written, she has podcasts, and she's done TED Talks, and she has like a Netflix special. And some of you may have seen the Netflix special. And what she talks about is this idea that we're like, oh my gosh, this is novel. We've never heard this idea before. And Paul wrote about the same idea 2,000 years ago, right? So what she's saying is true, but she doesn't have the keys to like, of like, oh my gosh, we've ne- this has never been discovered before. This, she says exactly what Paul says, but I do like the way that she says it. Here's what she says. She says, yes, we are totally exposed and we are vulnerable. Yes, we are in the torture chamber that we call uncertainty. And yes, we're taking a huge emotional risk when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. She continues, but there's no equation where taking risks, braving uncertainty, and opening ourselves up to emotional exposure equals weakness. Being vulnerable, being exposed, is not a weakness, right? It's actually a strength, and that's what Paul boasts in. So we want to lead with our limp. So how, how do we do this? How do we lead, how do we lead with our limp? We lead with our limp in three ways. Number one, you have to admit your limp. You have to admit. You have to just accept and own um, the, the limp that you have, right, by denying your limp, whatever it may be, by denying it, it's not going to help move you forward, right? It's not going to make you strong, right? It's not going to make you feel powerful, right? So how you feel powerful is not in your own strength, it's in the strength of Jesus. So number one is admit your limp. Um, there's actually a, a pastor around here that I um, really look up to and respect, uh, and this is what he says. He says, I used to take pride in the fact that nobody could keep up with me, and then I realized that nobody was following me. I used to take pride in the fact that I was on this other level with no limps, right? That I was, I was secure, I was strong, nobody was on my level, and people could just follow me. And then I realized that nobody was following me, right? And I'm actually, like, super guilty of this. I was talking with some friends some years ago, and they were saying, Isaac, you, whenever, like, you don't talk about your limps, you actually are pretty unrelatable. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm amazing. What do you mean by that? Like, I have no limps. I'm like, yeah, you actually have a lot, so you should just talk about them. Actually, Isaac, you're, like, way more relatable whenever you're vulnerable. I'm like, really? And they're like, yes. I'm like, ah. Okay, fine. <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're exactly right. So number one is admit limp. And number two, if you admit your limp to yourself, then you can accept your limp, right? Accept your limp. And also, along with accepting your limp, is surrounding yourself with people that also know your limp and love you for it and embrace you for it. Right? Um, I'm, um, this is not like an actual limp, but like a kind of, well, it kind of is. Um, I, I'm very um, spastic. I think it's maybe the best, the best way to describe it, right? And my, my each limb just has a, like a, a mind of its own, right? So I'll like walk into places and walk into rooms and like bump into doors and just like walk really quickly. If you've ever seen me get up from a table, I'm incredibly spastic. And even growing up, like I would just spill things all the time or I would just like knock like knock um, like glasses over like all the time, so so then I start dating my wife Lauren and and then I'm the, still the same way where I just like knock things over and I'm spastic and I'm like oh no and I just feel like so much shame because I'm spastic and I knock things over um, and she's like Isaac, I know you're spastic, I know you knock things over and I love you. That's like my favorite one of my favorite things about you. I'm like really? She's like yes. And is it actually her favorite thing about me? I don't know. But what she does. <laughs> But what she does, and I, I just, she's just so kind and gracious toward me. She's like, hey, Isaac, I see you. I see your, spackness, your spasticness. I see you being hurried. I see you just being real, like, energetic and frenzied sometimes. And I see you, and I love you. 
right? And Jesus does a really good job modeling just accepting your limp. So I would encourage you to surround yourself with people that know your weakness and accept your limp with you. And number three, as we're wrapping up here, number three. Talk about your limp with others. Talk about your limp with others. What do I mean by this? I mean, as we lead, not hide our limp, but as we lead with our limp, what we need to do with um, people that accept our limp is you just start talking about your limp. And as you talk about your limp, people are going to accept you or reject you. And people that reject you, don't worry about them because they're not safe people and God doesn't have them for you in your life. You want to surround yourself with people that accept your limp. And also, people that, like, reject you and shame you for your limp, it's only because they haven't admitted their own limps. Or they want to cast judgment on you, right? So not all limps are the same, right? We actually all have some, there may be some general similarities, but we all have different limps. So by admitting our limp to ourselves and accepting our limp to ourself, um, we actually have a lot more grace and compassion for ourselves, but also for others. So people that are pretty judgy, and perfectionists, and just demand your perfection, and you feel like you just need to walk on eggshells around them, those are not good people. Don't spend time around them, right? But as you find people that are like, oh, yeah, you're messed up? Cool, I messed up too. Hey, you're broken? Yeah, I'm broken too. See, there, now, we have a place where we can talk about our limps with others. And as, even as I say that, I'm, man, some of you, this is literally the scariest thing that you could hear on a Tuesday, right? This is like, oh, my gosh, I could. I could never do this. I could never, like, talk about my limp with others. My entire life, I've, the culture that I grew up in, I was told I just need to be strong and, like, hide weaknesses. And now you're saying that we need to talk about our limp and, like, lead with our limp? Ooh, I just can't do that. And I'm saying, hey, look, the best way to get experience is just get your reps in. And the more that you share with safe people, your story, the more that you share your limps, the more that you talk about your limps, your weaknesses, your deficiencies, that you can boast in them, right? It's not like if you've never done it before, you're just gonna be able to just do it, right? That's not how life works. Here's how life works. You take a step, and you like tell one person that's like super safe. You're like, hey, here's a limp that I have, right? And you just, and you admit it, you accept it, they accept it with you, you're like, oh, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't nearly, wow, I actually feel like, I feel seen, I feel understood, I feel loved, cool, right? And then you just do that with another person, and you do that with another person. And you do that with another person. And, and then, then you're talking to, an, then you don't even like, you get, like your limp doesn't define you and like you name it and you own it, but it doesn't define you. And then you just talk freely about your limp. So we're even like, you just have so much courage and boldness to talk about your limp and you lead with your limp. And then people across the table from you as you're meeting and talking about your story, their eyes get real big because of your boldness and courage to just talk freely about your weakness and your limp. And you're like, whoa. You can do that and like not cause shame. And you're like, yeah, that doesn't bring me shame. I'm going to boast in my weakness because I know God's good, right? How incredible would it be if we just had a bunch of people in Orlando just talking about your limp because it doesn't own us, it doesn't define us, and we lead with it? How much courage and boldness would we have? How much of a difference would that make in your life? Just talking about your limp where it doesn't like hold you back and like feel shame but you can just talk freely about it and you, you lead with it. Look, me personally, um, if someone is not aware of their limp, I don't trust them. If someone feels like they have it all together and I don't know what their weakness is and I don't know what their limp is and we haven't like talked about it, there's not a lot of trust because I just assume that they're unaware, right? And I just assume that, man, I just, I think they're like real judgy. You just seem really judgy to me and I feel like I need to be perfect around you and you're not gonna say your weakness 
well, I don't know if I feel like I need to share my, I mean, I will because it doesn't own me, but I just don't think there's going to be much of a relationship here, right? The people that we trust the most, the people that we feel the safest around are the people that we can just talk freely about our limp and we can share it with a lot of people. So that's my encouragement for us. And man, I just think that here at the table, if we just start with baby steps, all right, and some of us are really good at this and some of us have a few more steps to go, all right, but wherever we are, if we just take a baby step to admit our limp, right, take a baby step to accept our limp, accept our limp and have a few people around us accept our limp, a baby step to start sharing our limp with others um, in ministry and help them to follow Jesus, right, I think your life will be so radically different in a way that you've never experienced before. I think around here, we, we will be so radically different that, that we can lead with our limp and we can boast in our weaknesses, right, and the power of Jesus in us. I think the city of Orlando will be radically changed. I think part of the reason there's so much brokenness, um, like persistent brokenness, not in a way that like stays broken and not in a way that moves toward healing, is because we just don't lead with our limps. And I think we can, Orlando would be such a radically different place 20 years from now, 30 years from now, as all of us just help in our own personal lives and with those around us, just move forward in leading with a limp, right? I love you guys, and I don't want your limp to define you as a weakness. I want you to view your limp as a strength made possible by the power of Jesus Christ. I would love nothing more for you that, for you in your life. So here's how we're going to respond. Um, we're going to respond by singing, and um, here's, what, here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to have um, some music, we're going to have some pads going on, and um, first, though, I want to take about two minutes, um, and I want to, for you just to sit, and you can pull out your phone, you can pull out your journal, um, and I want you to list your limps, right? Nobody's going to see this, it's not for anybody, um, this is just for you. But just list your limps, and just practice admitting your limp, right? So you can pull out your journals, pull out your, um, pull out your phones, and we'll sit here um, for a few minutes, and then the band will come up, and we'll play, um, but we'll, um, accept, you admit your limp, accept your limp, and talk about your limp with others. Um, so I'll pray um, for us, and then we'll, we'll do this. <sighs> Father, I love you so much, God, and we know that you loved us first. God, and we know that with our limps, God, they don't, they don't define us, but they are part of our brokenness, part of our sinfulness, part of our impure motivations, God, and we know, God, that you make us whole. God, we know that it's only you that we can boast in. It's only you that we can boast in um, that gives us your strength, not our strength. God, so I just pray for my friends here and my family here at the table that we can lead with our limp and we can be open, God, with the things um, that we feel are holding us back. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, so let's just sit for a couple minutes. You can pull out your phone, pull out your journal, and just sit and reflect and just list um, some limps that you have, and then we'll have the band sing.